Welcome to Runway Walks, Current Talks, your weekly podcast that examines luxury fashion through an affordable vocabulary. We are your hosts, Liz and Whitney. Hi, Liz. I hate to even ask how you are. Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> it's been a really long week. I went to bed at 4.30 last night. No, 5.15. Nick likes to remind me because this morning at 11.30 or noon, he was like, it was 5.15. Um, and that's when I got up this morning. Yeah. yeah on different so schedules, like, but yeah, so, still the same feeling. Right, right. Um, so, but first of all, I would just like to personally congratulate everybody who is still participating in, in dry January because there is no part I don't know of how that's possible that well a I don't really like I don't think I could ever like do that it's right after Christmas like I'm not I'm not a fan of dry January personally but wow I, I'm either concerned for you or proud of you if you're still doing it <laughs> more concerned I told Nick this morning I said so I'm gonna like not drink for a whole week because I feel like a week of January 20th, I'm going to have to drink every day. So I just, I said, I need, I need to like go on like a wellness journey for a whole week and reset myself. <laughs> so, Oh, I don't know if a week's going to do it. So how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of same as you. I mean, I think like we have to address it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the completely shocking yet unsurprising event of January 6th. Um, so domestic terrorists infiltrated the Capitol at the behest of Trump. Like, let's be very clear about this. We know that they weren't protesters. We know that they were rioters and terrorists. Like, let's call it what it is. Um, and we know that they were acting in a way that was antithetical to American ideals and in what was a blatant ploy to try to disrupt the democratic process in this country. Um, like it was so disgusting. Um, And I feel like it was just a direct assault on kind of everything that this country stands for. Um, And I think that you and I both share that belief. Yes. Um, It's just, it's, it's kind of shocking. And I feel like we're, you know, we kind of have a little bit of a lighthearted tone about it and we're kind of laughing, um, but it's almost like you have to laugh to keep from crying. And it's just amazing that we are at this point. Um, But I think that really like Van Jones said it very well. It's like, this can either be the beginning of something or the end of something. And I really hope that we are strong enough as a nation to say that this is the end and really call to prosecute and hold the rioters, um, the enablers in Congress that have allowed this to happen for and build for, for four, four years. years. Um, and the president, I don't even like to call him the president <laughs> because Soon he doesn't to be deserve that, not doesn't deserve that title. No, but they they need to help. They need to hold all of these people accountable. And I really believe that if they don't do that, our country will never be the same. Um, You know, it's a really slippery slope into dictatorship. And if we're not careful, I think that we're going to see this spark ignite flames that we can't extinguish. Well, and and so I think it's a it's a very pivotal time. And you know, to to that point, I think for me, the thing that's been so heavy and I'm such an empath in general. That's just my personality. I, I, I kind of look at it, look at things from all sides. This is very different. I would very, very different, but concerning being an empath this week, I, in college, I studied international studies. So I have a lot of friends 
that live overseas and I studied abroad and I still, you know, I'm friends with him on social media. And one of my best friends, um, her, her grandma was a, you know, first generation immigrant to the United States. And she sent me a text uh, that her mom had sent her that said, this is not the America that I came to. And it just like that to me has just broke my, I was heartbroken. I, that was the moment that I just broke down and was just like, wow, wow. Um, so it's, it's, it's just such a deep hurt, I think for so many people. And especially, um, for me being someone that lives in a very small town in Oklahoma, it's very difficult to live here right now. Yeah. Um, because you are surrounded by people that were they, they might have been peaceful. They might have been some of the peaceful people out in front of the, the Capitol, but they were still a part of it. And I, it's right. just really unsettling for me. Um, but I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, this act of domestic terrorism is just unfathomable. Um, kind of to your point. So I'm watching all of this unfold with a newborn. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, this is not the America that I want her to know, uh, that I want her to grow up in, yeah. that I want her to be a part of. I think that what we can do right now is try to focus on some of the positive. Um, the Senate yes, is oh now gosh. going to be in control yes. um, I'm like, of the Democrats, which is a, a miracle in itself. It's a huge a deal. A huge deal. I mean, I'll be really honest. Like, I didn't think that that was going to be on the table. I didn't think that, that was going to be a possibility. So I'm just hoping that we can use this time to constructively move forward, um, build get legislature passed, it's going to help every American and hopefully bring some unity. Um, I think putting integrity back into our democracy is one of the biggest things that needs to be addressed. And that's going to take time. But I do think that we're finally seeing the light at the end of this tunnel. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame that all the Senate things were so over overcast by everything else was going on that day on yeah. January 6th. But that was still like a huge, huge, a deal. huge moment. Well, maybe on the lighter side of things. Yeah. There were some, you know, some funny tweets, some funny memes that kind of came out um, in light of all of this. And like I said, like, I think sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. Um, so I thought that we could maybe share some of those. Please because do, because we all there were some that, Oh my God, that just like killed me. Um, so have you seen the one that's like, um, I've had my seven day membership, my seven day free <laughs> membership of 2021. I'd like a refund. Like a refund. <laughs> and I never want to re-sign up. I'm never signing up. <laughs> never. Yeah, I'm never re-upping. Um, Billy Eichner had like a hilarious tweet that I, I mean, I was, I was crying, but like happy tears because it was just hysterical. Um, he said, thinking of all the people watching the coup with their Christmas trees still up, like (laughs) me, AKA me. (laughs) I don't know why, but like in the moment when everything's so bleak, like that just like, I know just killed me. Um, loved that one. Um, there was the one that had, um, the Joker and Pennywise, the clown from it, so the Joker is pointing, looks like he looks like he's pointing to something, um, and it, the caption is just "2020 showing 2021 around the workplace." <laughs> That's like exactly how it felt. It was like, what? oh yeah, it's like you think this is bad. Oh, just kidding. Here's here's something else. Um, and then the other thing that um, oh, it's it's a little bit controversial, but Anderson Cooper he let his Vanderbilt show. Did you yeah. see this? He he basically 
made the comment that all of the rioters are going to go back and celebrate at Olive Garden in their holiday inns. <laughs> so, like, it's. I think he just like forgot where he was. Yeah, and just and said that he it. can't say shit like that. Right. Right. <laughs> um. He he's catching a lot of backlash for it, but in the moment, it was just like, did Anderson Cooper just really say that on CNN? I think he did. Um, but the 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 tweets and the memes that came out afterwards of like all of the Olive Garden employees and like the <laughs> like that was that was funny yeah and, but, and like TikTok why you got to bring Olive sure. Garden into this I know one of my favorite comments because um of, I don't my one of my favorite TikToks that came out of the whole thing was like this woman because I laughed so hard because again in a small town. <laughs> It's this guy dressed up in a wig and he's like pretending to be and he's like, everybody in small town America on your Facebook. The people have speaking. <laughs> oh no. Trump is gonna win. It's like it's this crazy video, and I'm like, but this is how I feel. I literally feel like all of these crazy people on Facebook are being wild, and I'm just watching like doom scrolling, like yeah. the apocalypse. Oh my god. And I, I sent it to all, all my friends that like know me really well and like know that I do that and they were just like this is crazy so at least there have been some really hard like laughs throughout this because I don't know what I would have done without the internet so maybe let's get into um some style snacks because we do have a first couple that do have to do with um yes because this impacts everything it doesn't impact just politics it impacts fashion too and we are seeing that play out so as and as we've seen in the past year, year and a half, two years, especially more than ever, we've seen fashion kind of have this shift a little bit where they are using more things um, in a more political way, for lack of a better mm-hmm. way to put it, on the runway, in their designs, in their digital, you know, videos they're putting out because we're all still at home for the most part. And so there have been a lot of people that have come out. And, and speaking. I'm just not over that. And speaking. I'm not over it. <laughs> and really expressing that they're looking to expect much more from President-elect Joe Biden. Um, can't wait to say President Joe Biden, not President-elect, but we're almost there. Um, countless people have spoken out. Diane Von, um, Diane von Furstenberg, um, Christina Tung, Edwin Thompson, Brandon Blackwood, etc., etc., Um, And there are also people who have not spoken out at all and not used their platform. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're also getting a lot of backlash for not using their platform on the opposite, opposite spectrum of that. Um, But a lot of designers and just models and people that are coming out from the industry are really expressing one of the main things that they're expressing, which a lot of people are expressing this too, is they're disgusted at the different treatment of the mainly white rioters compared to the peaceful Black Lives Matter protesters last year. And so I'm I'm proud of people for coming out and saying the things that we're all thinking that have, you know, 500 mm-hmm. followers that, you know, my friends follow me. That's it. So I, I, I think I think we are going to see a big shift in the fashion world and a huge response to this as we come into fashion month. Um, I do think we're going to see. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's your opinion on that. Uh, yeah, I think people will continue to be vocal. Um, one thing that I was going to bring up was Carly Kloss is actually facing backlash that she's not doing enough. So yeah. for those of you that aren't aware, she is married to um, Jared Kushner's brother. So she is in-laws with Jared and Ivanka. 
And while they might be on different ends of like the political spectrum, um, you know, she had issued a statement um, this week and, you know, people were kind of like tweeting at her like, you know, why don't you go tell Ivanka this? Why don't you go tell your in-laws? And she kind of just simply replied, I've tried. And people are kind of coming at her saying like, that's not good enough. So, um, you know, I think people are upset. People are outraged. And I think they will continue to ask more and more and more of those visible figures to try to um, use their voice and use their influence um, in a positive way. Right. And especially because I think that the line's been teeter-tottered on and crossed. What happened this last week is like, we went over the whole ocean. Like, (laughs) the whole ocean was crossed. Like, there's no... uh, So I... I, I do. There's think, no tiptoeing around it right. anymore. Yeah, there's you not. To, you have to. You have to, you have to be able to address it. Um, well, in other high-profile, well, Shopify is addressing it. They have pulled Trump merchandise from their site, so they have deactivated um, his two kind of official e-com sites um, that are directly owned and operated by the Trump Organization. And other sites that are offering Trump merchandise also appear to be decommissioned, but they haven't kind of given the official number of um, sites that they have pulled down, but they're taking a stand and saying, nope, we're not going to contribute any sort of, you know, in any sort of way to your profits off of this type of merchandise. Good for them. So good for them. Good for them. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, we have another big story that probably would have been the biggest story of the week had the world not fallen apart. Um, yeah. Kim and Kanye are splitting up. And okay, so this is really sad. But one thing that was going through my head was that the only person in the world that is probably breathing a sigh of relief is Kris Jenner at this moment. (laughs) When all of this is going down, she's probably like, whew, I'm I'm gonna, you know, maybe I'm gonna ride this one out. (laughs) Because Kim and Kanye are not the top leading story of the day. Yeah. And Actually, it's, it's one of my favorite memes I've seen come out of this is it's like, who do you think leaked the story at page six? And it's just four pictures of Kris Jenner in a different colored wig. And she's just like got this <laughs> smug face. And it's like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> she's the queen of like puppeteering all of that shit. Kris Jenner. Oh my gosh. So not only are Kim and Kanye um, splitting up, but now there are all these rumors going around about Kanye having an affair with Jeffree Star. I did see this, but I saw that it was denied. Yeah, today Jeffree Star came out and denied it. So yeah, I don't know. The whole story is just crazy. Oh, also my favorite meme. This is not really that funny because it has to do with North, but it's just in the context of her name. <laughs> my favorite thing that came out. This is better than the Chris one. It says, Kim and Kanye having to sit down North and tell her that sometimes things go south. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too great. good it's too good it's i'm like too, yeah it's just too funny so <laughs> thank god for the laughs this week but yeah that's and like everybody saw this coming after kanye's bipolar oh, yeah. rants on twitter and you know his culty sunday church whatever thing he's been doing and this is this is bound to happen so oh, yeah. it was just a ticking time bomb it was a matter of time but mm-hmm. so many crazy things but anyway well moving on to some more fashion related news um, Paris police announced that fashion week, men's fashion week will be audience free. Because if you haven't forgotten, like we're still in the midst yeah, of a global s- pandemic on top of everything still, else, you know, yeah, it's still a thing. It's still going on. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
So for Men's Fashion Week is running January 19th through the 24th. Um, it's always a slate of international designers. It's the biggest men's week. Um, I, for a fact, they have stated that Louis Vuitton and Dior had both planned to do some kind of physical show with a small audience. So they're having to kind of reconstruct what they're doing. Um, they have until Tuesday, which is when this podcast episode drops, um, to revise their schedule and kind of put out times and venues and things. So we'll see what's going to happen. But so filming will be allowed. Brands who plan to have a physical stage show can record it or live stream it, similar to what we've seen in the past. Um, and they're also allowing brands to offer in-person showroom appointments, providing strict security guidelines still because of COVID. So I'm happy to see this. I'm happy to see the police cracking down on this because yes, like I think it's, you know, it's fine. If you want to have your fashion show, get tested, whatever. But I think that, you know, cramming people in a room still, it's not a good idea. So let's, let's take some steps and address it. And maybe one day in the future, if everybody can do the right thing, we can go out in public again. It'd yeah. It'd be lovely. I know. I'd love to wear my clothes again. I would love to see, Oh my like, God, my closet misses me. I know. My shoes, especially. My shoes really miss me. Oh, I know. It's just sad. So. Well, let's talk about some good things. Some good let's things that it. happened this week. Um, so Lindsay Peoples-Wagner was named editor-in-chief at The Cut. So this is very exciting. So she um, was most recently at Teen Vogue, but she had previously worked at The Cut. So she's very familiar with the voice um, and kind of like tone of the publication. And so she's going to replace Stella Bugby, who had announced her departure last October. Um, so I think that this is a really good appointment. I think that she's going to be coming in at the right time to make a really big impact. So um, for people that aren't familiar with her, she co-founded Black and the Black in Fashion Council. Um, so I just think she's going to be um, really good for the cut. I mean, I love the cut anyway, but it's just, I think, going to be the right person at the right time. And I'm excited to see what she's going to do. And I think she's going to bring a lot of good energy. I like yeah. her a lot. She's a, she's a go-getter. Um, I think this is a great move on the cut's part. I love it. Yay. I love it. Happy news. Exactly. Next up in our happy news, um, our man, Jonathan Anderson, who we love, um, he just launched a uh, Loewe and My Neighbor Totoro collection. And I looked at it this afternoon. It's so it's so cute. So the whole collection is based off of a 1988 Japanese animated film called My Neighbor Totoro. And it's kind of it's set in this post-war Japan about two young girls that moved to the countryside with their father. Um, and they kind of wander on the forest and they like meet this plushy rabbit like figure named Totoro and they kind of go on these adventures and it's just this really cute, whimsical, magical, um, very like foresty uh, movie. And so he he's, he was like, I've always loved this, this film. Um, the rabbits actually like made it's kind of like a Winnie the Pooh doll would be in the United States. It's like kids have it in their rooms and it's, it's just this like kind of nostalgic thing. And so it's so cute. They have so in, in the collection, they've launched like the puzzle bags, which Loewe is known for. There's T-shirts, there's um, hoodies and pants and things. And it has the rabbit on the T-shirts or like in the design. It's just really, really sweet and cute um, and really colorful. And the caption on Vogue was something about like, this is the escape we need right now. And I was like, yes, Aww. it is. Um, yeah. So if you guys want to go check it out, it's a, it's a really sweet, um, it's a really sweet concept. And the clothes are very playful and, and of course beautiful because it's Jonathan Anderson and he's great, but it was very cute. 
Well, kind of rounding out this week's style snacks, if you've had just enough of social media, you can take a cue from Bottega Veneta and just disappear. Just disappear from it. Yeah. Gone. So (laughs) all of the brand's um, social media accounts disappeared on Tuesday with no explanation. So people are left wondering, like, is this a new marketing ploy? Is this the under the direction of Daniel Lee? So he's kind of been known for not really being a big fan of social media. Um, He kind of has never just bought into like digital online presence um, or digital shows. And this kind of goes back to his days at Celine, which we know under Phoebe Philo, like the brand really didn't have a very big online presence either. Um, So maybe this is his way of number one, just pulling back from it, but then also their way of creating buzz through the scarcity um, and kind of a way to prevent overexposure. So I think time will tell. I don't know that this is like a longstanding um, move that they can sustain in today's environment, but right, you yeah. know, it, in the short term, it might be a way to <laughs> get them some more buzz, prevent kind of some oversaturation. And let's be honest, like the people that love it and the celebs that are wearing it are still going to post about it and they're going right. to get just as much exposure as right. they did before. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with it. We'll see. Maybe somebody just accidentally deleted everything. We don't know. That Those are my favorite things I've seen. It's, it's, it's like, well, I guess someone accidentally deleted it and got fired. And then no one knew how to turn exactly. it back Exactly. Nobody knew how to get back into the account. <laughs> that poor little like social media intern. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, whoopsies. But, yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about a very controversial figure. Um, in fashion. And this is someone that we had been planning on talking about for a while, just because um, he is such an influential figure that, you know, regardless of how you feel about him, he's still very much um, a present present on the circuit today and um, still holds a lot of influence. So um, it's going to be tough. I think that it's a really hard subject to kind of talk about. Um, but we're going to try to do it with as much grace as we can. So today we're going to be talking about John Galliano. So I'm going to kind of kick us off and take us through his early life and early career. So he was born in Gibraltar. So that's a British owned island in the Mediterranean. Did not know that. I'm what, 33 years old? Did not know that that ever existed before this. It's so Um, funny because it's one of the stops that one of the cruise ships would make all the time when Nick was working on cruise ships. So he's been there like six times. So when I was looking up where John Galliano was from, I was like, oh my gosh, I know some tiny ass country (laughs) or whatever because of Nick. (laughs) It's really funny. I was like, he's had no closer. It's like me Google. It's like you start going down the rabbit hole. It's like, what's Gibraltar? Like, where is this? Where is this? Yeah. And I thought I was good at geography. Um, But moving on. (laughs) So um, his father was from Gibraltar and then his mother was Spanish um, and he has two sisters. So Galliano's father was a plumber and his family ended up moving to mainland England in pursuit of work when Galliano was six. So he has kind of, you know, admitted that he always had difficulties fitting in and he didn't really find his place until he attended Central St. Martin's in the early 80s. So once he was there, he really became enamored with historical costuming, which I feel like you is very apparent um, very. in his work. Yeah. Especially yeah. by the time. Screams. 
Exactly. Yeah. By the time he gets to Dior and he has the budget to do it, it's, right. you know, it's almost more costume than it is, um, you know, wearable garments. Yeah, for ready today. to wear. They were right. Mm. Um, but he just kind of fell in love with that type of grandiose, over the top dressing, um, and it really became his calling card. So post school, um, his first collection was inspired by the French Revolution and entitled Les Incorables. Um, the collection received really positive reviews and it was bought in its entirety for Browns. So I feel like this is almost unheard of. It's kind of like, it, it's very reminiscent to me of, um, Alexander McQueen, where it's like you have your entire collection kind of right. recognized and bought by one person, except for in this case, it was bought by a very influential chain. Um, so it really put him on the radar and fashion critics started to take notice at that time. From there, Galliano started his own fashion label um, alongside um, Amanda Harlick, who at that time was a stylist with Harper's and with Queen, and Stephen Jones, which we have you know heard and referenced countless right. times. So he really, from there, continued to like gain notoriety and kind of you know entered the public sphere, and he was really known as kind of a celebrity designer by age twenty five. Um, I found this Guardian article from nineteen eighty six, and I just feel like it is almost scary how they predicted this and kind of called this out. Um, but from this article, the the author writes that some even warned that I should stay away from writing about him, saying that at 25, he has already had too much publicity and is suffering from it. That school of thought of yours, Galliano, should be left alone to mature quietly, out of the way of head-turning dangers of designer celebrity, with the freedom to make beginner's mistakes and reasonable privacy. Isn't that scary? Knowing wow. what is to come and what we're going to talk about? Wow. Um, but it's kind of like already you can you can see kind of these pressures mounting and kind of like the wheels turning. Um, and you can see, and he, he references later, that this kind of leads to his infamous break that happened in 2011, um, which we're, of course, going to talk about in just a second. Um, but before then, let's get back to kind of his own line. So like so many creatives that we've seen, you know, he's he's making a splash and he's becoming a little bit of a critic's darling, but he's having difficulty with the financial side of his business. Um, and after many failed backings, he found himself bankrupt by 1990. So this catapulted him into making, um, having to make a really big change. And he moved from England to Paris in search of financial backing and kind of to appeal to this client base that he feels like would appreciate um, his talent. So he found backing, but again, the partnership fizzled out by 1993. And then kind of at this point, Andre Leon Talley and Anna Winter kind of come into the picture and are kind of like his white knights. Mm -hmm. So Andre actually talks about this in his book um, about, you know, he was the one that kind of promoted Galliano to Wintour, to Anna Wintour, and really got him on her radar and, um, you know, kind of helped propel him into Vogue's good graces. But uh, with their help, he Galliano was introduced to Portuguese socialite and fashion um, enthusiast. I'm not going to be able to say this name correctly. Um, Sal Schlumberg. Schlumberg. Um, Good. Good job. <laughs> and with some financial backers. Um, and it was kind of through this partnership. It was the one that worked and he was able to kind of uh, finally make his mark in Paris. And he was, got some credibility. So, 
He continued to kind of create, and this led to his appointment at Givenchy in 1995 by Bernard Arnault. So he didn't last there very long, though, because they moved him over to Dior in October of 1996. And kind of famously, Alexander McQueen was brought in to replace him at Givenchy. But Dior is really where we see his career just leap into superstar. Leap. And I think it's important to note, so even before his appointment at Givenchy, he had already won British Designer of the Year three times. That's, That's crazy. crazy. Before yeah. your big appointment. Because yeah. he'd had his own, you know, namesake brand, but it was so up and down for, for so many, many years in, in between there. He still managed to win that three. And he won it one more time. Um, which interestingly enough, he won it again in 1997 and he and he and Alexander McQueen later shared that they shared the award together, which I think is really interesting. Um, I also think it's important to note that when he was appointed at Givenchy, he replaced Hubert himself. Like he was, he was hired to replace the man himself. That's a, those are huge shoes to fill. Um, and so from the get-go, yes, he's kind of, he was kind of, so Galliano was kind of coined cool as this like boy wonder of the fashion world. And uh, we're going to see Anna Wintour again, take him under her wing later on. Um, but so he's, as Whitney mentioned, he's at Givenchy and then Dior moved him over or LVMH moved um, him over to Dior. And this is, this is where we see him really, really take off in 1996. Um so Arnaud kind of hoped Galliano would attract younger clientele for Dior, obviously. You know, Dior at that time was still very, um, I mean, they're still very, a, a lot of- Because who can afford it? Who, that's the thing. You can't afford it. I can't afford it. Like, I mean, I, I would love to say I could afford Dior, but I just I just can't. And so he's he brought him in to make it younger. And I, I think he did do that. Galliano was 36 years old at the time. And he did just that. Dior's new look kind of came out with the padded shoulders- and the jackets and simple, um, simple skirts. So it was, it was this ladylike still thing, but it was not as like, oh, I'm so prim and proper and I'm, you know, in my sixties and older because that's who wanted to wear it. Nobody wanted to, nobody my age or your age would want to wear what Bior was putting out at that time. So, Hey, I like to think that we're the same age. <laughs> we, we are not that. <laughs> we are the same <laughs> age. We are the same age. We're both 27, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I do think, so this is the, the biggest thing that put him on the map though at this time. So he was appointed in 1996 and then in 1997, um, which people still talk about to this day was the mustard yellow embroidered chartreuse gown that he designed for Nicole Kidman to wear at the Academy Awards. And it was described as the first true couture dress on the red carpet. Um, so it, it this kind of just like really, really spiraled him into, into being this now international name. Um, and the dress actually inspired multi, a multitude of knockoffs. It was like everybody, like the Zara's at the time were like, oh, let's make a $45 version of this dress <laughs> online. Um, so what, during his time at Dior, he was very much known for his haute couture collections and ready-to-wear collections. Um, and Dior was kind of back with this edge. They they mm-hmm. they had this kind of drive behind them because of Galliano. And actually, in 2004, in a poll for the BBC, Galliano was named the fifth most influential person in British culture. Fifth most influential person in British culture. Crazy. That's crazy. That's nuts. As a fashion designer, you're not Elton John. You're fashion. I was gonna say you're not like, the queen. Yeah, <laughs> like that's crazy. 
Um, and and part part of um, one of the things that Galliano speaks speaks about from his role at Dior was he was talking. He always talks about his role is to seduce, and we do see that a lot in his in his clothing. He kind of has this like this way of putting theatrical and femininity things together, but there's there's still this sexy under undertones of like seduction, which is perfectly aligned with the with the DNA of Dior. And so I think it's really important to look at the timeline here. He's with Dior from 1996 to 2011. We don't see a lot of designers that stay at houses that for have that, that long, type of tenure that have wow. and yeah, and that have that type of still rolling momentum to keep mm-hmm. them. I mean, Carl, like who I, I who He's else? about the I only mean, one. Yeah, and so. So Dior was not planning on him going anywhere. He was at Dior for as long as they wanted him to be there until 2011 hit. So 2011 happened. In February of 2011, Galliano was accused of this outburst that he had at a cafe in Paris, um, an anti-Semitic pretty much outburst that he had. He was arrested. And later on, there was a video leaked of him from that same cafe in December of 2010, just months before saying, and I quote, I love Hitler. People like you would be dead. Your mothers, your forefathers would all be fucking gassed. End quote. Um, crazy. Absolutely appalling. And yeah. so this happened right before Paris Fashion Week. It's February of 2011. He's gearing up to do fall, winter, Dior. And so this happened um, right after um, February 25th, Dior suspended him, and then he was fired in March from Dior and, and his namesake brand. Because during that time that he was appointed at Givenchy and then went to Dior, LVMH also acquired uh, his namesake brand. Mm-hmm. So not only was he fired from Dior, but he's fired from his own namesake brand. Um, this was a huge, huge deal at the time. It, I mean, it would be a big deal no matter what. Um, and, you know... People, some people came out and kind of defended him and others blatantly didn't. Um, Eva Green, who was a French actress, was quoted saying, sometimes you can make mistakes. I don't think he's anti-Semitic. I'm Jewish. I don't think he is anything against the Jews. I think it's more that he was probably a bit drunk um, than other people like Natalie Portman, who had a, that big endorsement with Dior at the time. We remember the mm-hmm. ads with the tool and the Yeah, she's perfume. the face of Dior. Yeah, and she said the, there's still um, existing prejudices are the opposite of all that is beautiful. Pretty much saying is the opposite of, of Dior. Um, you know, in the end, Galliano was found guilty later that year in September. He was sentenced to pay 6,000 euros in suspended fines. Um, he entered rehab for drug and alcohol addiction. He later apologized for his comments. But this was one of those things you don't really come back from. No, um, you definitely don't. And um LVMH took swift action and Galliano has has admitted that he has never again spoken to Arnaud or um, the then president, Sidney Toledano. Um, so he says that his calls were not accepted. And I think for good reason. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, to what I said earlier, which different situation, but it's like you can teeter on that line for a little bit, but you can't cross it like that. You know, there there are some things where you you cross a line and you can't, you can't come back from that with yeah. certain people. Um, so he, and released- I think it, it, you know, we talked about it earlier, um, just about kind of like this, this overshadowing of, of the immense pressure that was on him. Um, right. and he has, you know, said that it was just 
for years, he was designing 15 collections and it just got to be too much. And he felt like he couldn't say no and that it all just kind of built up into this problem with drugs and alcohol and just the just the inter- intense pressure. Um, and, you know, Anna Wintour has famously said that, you know, like he's such a perfectionist. He had the in- inability to delegate to delegate or let go and that the job was just too much. Um, but you know, I don't know that that can be an excuse for that type of outburst. Um, but you know, like you said, he's tried to atone for it. He's, uh, you know, he's come out and said, I said what I said, I didn't mean it. Um, and I continue to atone. Some people have forgiven me and some people will never forgive me, but that's something I have to take on board. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, that, and there are people that, um, kind of, uh, took this as a swept it under the rug kind of mentality a little bit. And, you know, I think those people, you know, for me, Kate Moss, like that was, he, he stepped away from fashion for two years. I mean, I, I, I personally don't know. I I don't know that he ever would have come back had he not had an opportunity later on. But the only thing he did during that time was he famously designed Kate Moss's wedding gown. At that time, it would be like Kendall Jenner's wedding dress this year. It's like, the model of that time was Kate Moss. And, you know, I I think that there's a certain amount of what are you willing to put aside for the sake of talent. And, you know, Kate Moss wanted him to design her dress. But that's the only thing he did for two years. Um, so we see him come back to fashion in 2013 after he's, you know, done rehab and, and everything else. Um, once again, our girl, Anna Wintour is coming through for John Belliano, which is so interesting to me. Like part of me wants to like be in her head and be like, what's your thing with him? Like, what's your thing with Galliano? Cause you're like saving him all the time. Um, so in early 2013, brokered by Anna Wintour, Galliano was invited to collaborate with Oscar de la Renta on his fall collection to show during New York fashion week. This was a huge deal. His first time back. Um, he remained backstage during the show. Galliano did. There were a lot of speculations about Galliano's future, or maybe he was going to be a possible replacement for Oscar de la Renta himself. Um, and then, oddly enough, on his way to the show, he was also seen we- seen and photographed wearing what looked like um, a normal dressing of Hasidic Jews, the, the hat and the curls and everything. And he was bashed by the New York Post, um, saying he was now looking like he was mocking once again. So here we see Another time that he's come out and really, and done this, but he, I mean, he came out and he was like, I wear stuff like this all the time. It has nothing to do with Jewish faith. And I was like, what? But anyway, we'll move on. What the rest of the photo didn't show was that he also had on pinstripe pants and ascot and everything. But yet again, we see him kind of in the midst of this, of this mess. So I think it's interesting to note that during that same week, um, he did receive a measure of absolution from the Anti-Defamation League, um, which lauded his efforts to kind of atone for his misdeeds, and they wished him well. So you're seeing some kind of forgiveness, kind of like he kind of gets the the go-ahead that you've kind of... I hate to say this, but kind of like paid your paid your dues, you've done your time, and we're opening the door for you again. Right. It's almost like a slap on the hand. It's like, okay, well, you know, and whatever. But so at the end of 20 or in a 2013 interview, after he'd done everything with Oscar de la Renta and this whole thing has blown up again, um, the first since it was his first interview since his departure from Dior's, it was a really big deal. 
And he was quoted saying, I am able to create, I am ready to create, and I hope through my atonement I'll be given a second chance. And he was given just that. In 2014, um, he was hired by Margella, and he's still there to this day um, as the creative director. And as from a talent standpoint, I think this is a great appointment solely based on talent. Um, I think, I think, you know, a lot of the things he's done at Margella have been, uh, has kept them in the news. I mean, I, what was it last year with the guy at the end of the runway doing the walk and like, it was all anybody could talk about from that day of, of fashion, of fashion week. Yeah. I mean, Um, I think that it seems like a seemingly very weird marriage at first, um, him coming from Dior, just this over the top historical perspective, almost costuming to Margella, who's known for super avant-garde designs, kind of recycled materials and exaggerated silhouettes. Um, and, you know, Galliano's this super polished guy. Um, but their methodology and skill, it, it kind of works well together. And they also kind of use a similar technique, um, especially when Galliano was earlier on in his career. You know, he's kind of said, you know, recycling, taking things inside out, upside down. That's what you do when you're young and designer, you destroy and you construct. And so I think him at least having that type of base knowledge, he's able to come in and do, he's able to come in and understand Margella and appreciate it. Um, And he's kind of taking it and putting his own mark on it. Um, And then I think the other thing about this is that it's kind of fitting for where he's at currently, like his his mental headspace um, going from something that was just too polished to perfection to something that is more raw. Um, It's kind of speaking to his emotional state. You know, he's he's been quoted as saying, you know, I felt good. The beautiful decay, the peeling paint of him kind of entering into the Margiela headquarters um, you know, he had said that he'd become too polished to finish and that the rawness and the emotion appealed to him um, because that's how he was feeling. So I think that it's it's a good marriage right now. It's been working. Um, and so just a few weeks after accepting the position, Galliano presented the Outstanding Achievement Award to Anna Wintour at the Fashion Awards, and she wore his first creation for Margiela. Um, which more or less gave her stamp of approval, which again opened up many doors for him to kind of be, um, you know, rewelcomed back into the industry. And he's said that the job's been therapeutic for him. Um, you know, before he says that he was driven by perfection and that he would miss out on the beautiful thing that happens kind of in that in between, that unfinished state. And that's kind of what he's experiencing now. I mean, it's been a good appointment, both commercially and critically. Um, The house has been doing well. And I think that it's working for him. He's not in the spotlight in the way that he was at Dior. Right. And I think that's, yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. And it it seems to suit him. Yeah. Yeah. I I think when when you're a designer at LV, Dior, Chanel, that kind of pressure that you have to have um, is, is I can't imagine how stressful that is to be on an, on an international stage, to be designing at the top three or four houses in the world. And I think he's he's still at a very reputable house, but Margiela is not Dior, you know? So I do, the, the I, I think this is, a, is, is right. a, a little bit less. But, right. um, you know, I, I think that it's hard 
Um, he's clearly made a point to try to atone for this outburst. The fact that it was multiple outbursts makes it, I think, a little bit harder to rationalize or, like you said, kind of like turn a blind eye to. So I think that I think that it's hard. If you were to look at his work at Dior or at Margiela independently of knowing kind of like this background, you would clearly say that he is, you know, one of the greats. He should stand next to YSL, next to Christian Dior himself. Um, And and he, you know, he would hold his own. But his outburst, these incidents will forever leave a mark on his legacy. And it's something that, you know, I think some people are able to get past and others aren't. And for me personally, like it's hard. No, I, I agree with you. I, it's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow for anybody. And, and, um, you know, and I know I mentioned this earlier, but I think looking at his, his track record and his timeline and like, I don't think Dior was wanting to let him go. And he was there for what, 15 years already. You don't see that. You don't see people be at a, be at a house like Dior for that long, unless they want them to be there for the long haul. Um, the, the greats are the ones that are there for the long haul. And so I, I do I do think that if he wasn't as talented as he was, I think people would be less forgiving. Um I personally yeah. I think I think people in the industry would be less forgiving. I think it's certainly a factor. Yeah, and I and I do think, you know, regardless of I, I mean, obviously I don't know Anna Wintour personally, but she has very much aided him especially later after the after any of the incidents had happened and kind of like you said kind of especially at the fashion awards when he presented her with the award and everything she kind of opened her arm and and the door to like welcome back to the fashion realm and and in the fashion world it's kind of like whatever Anna says goes I mean right it it kind of is and so I think I think from that standpoint I think a lot of people are like well if Anna can forgive him then maybe I should too I don't know. I'm just Yeah, and I think it's 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 hard, right? Because like we don't it's know just hard. we don't know any of these people personally. What right. I can what I can appreciate is that he took the steps to try to better himself, recognize and acknowledge that what he did was wrong, um, and tried to take responsibility. So from that standpoint, I can at least respect that. Um you know, he's, he is a great talent and that is hard to dispute. Yes. At least he's trying. I sincerely hope that he has turned a corner in, um, in his beliefs and that what happened in 2011 is not reflective of the person who he is today. Yes. I agree with you a hundred percent. Well, it's hard. We tried. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> we got through it. We got through it. We made it through this week. We made it through this episode. Um, unlike you, I'm going to go have a glass of wine. You can be on your health. Yeah, I'm going to be on a health kick for we'll see how long it lasts. It might be like tonight and that's it. I don't know. Um, I hope everybody is taking care <laughs> of themselves. We still have a card couple of weeks to get through here in the United States. Um, but there is some light. There is some light coming. All right. Take care of each other. Um, Thanks so much for joining us again this week. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Ciao.
Thanks for joining us on Runway Walk's Current Talks. A big thank you goes out to Troy and Quincy Taylor and TTU for composing our theme music. We love it and are so grateful that you let us use it. If you're looking for more RWCT, visit our website, runwaywalkscurrenttalks.com and find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate all the support.